I'm your host, Rena Friedman-Watts, and this is the Better Call Daddy Show. Hey, this is Big Daddy, Wayne Friedman. That's my grandpa. Grandpa, you ready for more daddy drama? My dad is my number one hero and number one fan. And I'm a pretty cool dude. All right, season four, baby, here we go. More stories you're not going to believe. And maybe you will after you listen. Five stars. Five and a half stars, two thumbs up. You are a pretty cool dude. Love you, mommy. Don't stand on the table and damn the public. You'll get some words of wisdom to live by. Here we go again. Better call daddy. You know what your problem is? You like me. Yeah, I do. Each week, I interview a guest, share the stories with my dad, and then he weighs in at the end of every episode with his wisdom and wit. Thanks, Grandpa. Everyone from influential players to inspirational fathers, and of course, controversial people. Grandpa, my mom is calling. Creating that legacy one call at a time. And welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. Stay tuned. Where's the music? Better call daddy cause he knows your best. Better call daddy cause he's bringing the test. He sees possibilities. Better call daddy, he'll be by your side. Better call daddy, you're the apple of his eye. He sees possibilities. Today's guest, Mark Marrow, is America's number one school presenter. He really shows you how to overcome obstacles. He's a former WWE and WCW wrestling champion. And my dad said, turns out brains win over brawn. Mark Marrow, welcome to the Better Call Daddy show. Chris Whaley sent me this and he's how we connected. So uh, okay. he's... Yeah, he said, you can see the true character of someone and how they treat those who can do nothing for him. And he said that you are a true godly character and that you have impacted thousands of young people's lives. And God has used you to save many who have attempted suicide. And I think that that is so powerful. Oh, well, I really appreciate that. Uh, Chris is an amazing friend, and I just love that man. And he's done so many great things for other people. I mean, I look up to him and see all the things that he does for people. He's just the kindest person. He, he'll go out of his way for anybody. Yeah, my dad loved him. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he was like, okay, that is a guest to start a season with. <laughs> oh, who doesn't? I mean, he's just a great person. Yes, he's a real-life vigilante. Well, anyway, so where are you located right now? I am in Houston. How about you? Are you still in oh, Florida? I'm in Atlanta. You're in Atlanta? Yeah. Okay, cool. How's Atlanta? It's a beautiful day today. I just took my little puppy out. I started my tour in a couple of days, so I just took my dog out for a nice walk, and we had a great time. But I'm putting together the presentation for this school year, and I'm excited. I go on tour. We kick off our tour in Alabama. On, we leave Tuesday for Alabama. And then we go to Florida and then Virginia, then New York This for the month of September. So kind of busy month. Yeah. Tell me about putting together tours. What is that like? <laughs> well, I have someone that, that helps me do that, obviously. That takes a lot of coordination with air, with flights, hotels, rental cars, schools, trying to lump schools together. You know, we're going to be in New York at this time. So I have someone that does that for me and, and does a fantastic job because, you know, utilizes your time as efficient as possible. I mean, the, the presentations aren't what's 
I guess the difficult part is the all the messages you get after a presentation and working with schools and counselors and therapists and mental health specialists to help students too. I mean, it's just a different time period in our world today. And it's very difficult. It really is. And we take on a lot trying to help as many kids as possible. Talk to me about impact and what is the impact that you want to make? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> life is so short, you know, and I think we all leave a legacy and mine's not going to be how much money I had or how big my house was or how nice my car was. I pray it's going to be the difference I made in someone else's life. Let's say because of Mark Merrill, you know, my life was changed or he helped me in some way or maybe even saved their life. I don't know. That's what I hope. I hope that's the legacy I'm blessed to be able to leave. That's really beautiful. I would love you to talk about some of the messages that you have received after doing these kind of presentations. You know, it's uh, some are, are so beautiful on how the presentation changed or saved their life. One that really stands out was I received a letter from a young man that said that the day I was coming to his school, he was going to end his life. He's just so depressed and he's got, you know, we got to go to the stupid assembly and blah, blah, blah. And he wrote me this beautiful letter. And of course, I work with the counselors at the schools. And so, of course, I wrote the student back and just told him how, you know, just let him know how special and how valued he is and how much he's needed. And he's going through a hard time right now. But, you know, hard times don't last, but hard, the tough times don't last, but tough people do. And just encouraged him, you know. But I sent the message off to the counselor. And I got a phone call immediately, and the counselor said, that's my son. And I was like, oh, so you just never know. I mean, she never had no idea their son was that depressed. And remember, she's a counselor at the school helping so many other kids. So that's one that always stands out to me is that even as a parent that helps people, often sometimes we just don't know what our kids are going through today. Kids really are are good at, at hiding things and holding things inside. And I, I talked to him about my own life and how the worst thing I did was hold things inside because it's you hold them inside, it's like a volcano. And sooner or later, that volcano is going to erupt and it erupts in negative behavior, whether it's horrible bouts of depression, anxiety, uh, bullying and hurting other people because the pain you're going through I and mean, hurt people often hurt other people. And so I said, the greatest thing that ever happened to me was that I finally talked about what I was going through, what I felt and what happened to me. And man, it was like a weight lifted off my shoulder. But then I started being able to share this on stage. It was like my therapy. It was like talking about all these horrible things in my life. And then kids go, oh my gosh, I got to identify with that guy. And I feel like I'm going through the same thing he went through or whatever it would be. And that's why I really feel that being authentic and being real and the kids can feel that is why I really connect with the students. That's so powerful. I just wanted to say alongside that, that not only do kids hold it in, but I've talked to people that work in the medical profession and they've missed it in their own parents. Oh, absolutely. You know, I do corporate presentations too. And of course, you know, I change my presentation with the audience I'm in front of. And as adults, you know, we often hold things in from the past that affects many of our relationships today, whether it's with our spouse or our kids or whatever. But a lot of it stems from things that we have not gotten through in our past. And a lot of it is forgiveness. And sometimes the hardest person to forgive is ourselves. 
So you either forgive or you relive. And I really challenge people to make that something they should do today, forgive themselves. I mean, if you're a spiritual person, God has already forgiven you. Just ask him, just say, I'm sorry, I'm going to move out of my life. He's forgiving you. But Bible says he throws it as far as east is from west. So if you're to keep beating yourself up, God's like, dude, I already forgave you. Stop. <laughs> Get out with your life. Wow. I do feel like a lot of people struggle with forgiveness. Yeah. It's very sad because, like I said, hurt people often hurt other people. And I think about, you know, what, how long I held bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness. And it's like a cancer that destroys you, you know, and it's not that they deserve forgiveness. It's that you deserve peace. And then we can do that is to forgive them. And people say, well, Mark, how do you know if you've forgiven someone? I said, well, for me, it was really easy. When they mentioned their name, when someone mentions their name, I don't get angry anymore. <laughs> you go, wow, and I've moved on with my life, you know? Yeah, that's a pretty good indicator. I did listen to you on another podcast, and I heard that you were married to Arena, and that's my name. So I thought that I, was, I was interesting. I was, uh, my wife was named Rena. We're divorced, obviously, but she became Sable in wrestling and did very well with that. And we both moved on, and we have a, a beautiful daughter, Mariah. And I also love that name. So I was like, oh, this is so crazy. Yeah. Like I was listening to it at the gym the other night. I was like, okay, he's married to Rena. I wanted to name one of my daughters Mariah. It was just so crazy to like listen to you say that. Yeah, Rena's a very unusual name. You don't meet many people named Rena. So it was we obviously be married to her. You know, we very seldom we'd ever even meet or hear of someone else named Rena. Right. And I'm sure it was mispronounced too. I get Rini, Renee, never. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. That's why when we moved, when we went to wrestling, we changed it to Sable, which was really easy to say and remember. Oh my God, that's hysterical. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your come up. My come up? Yeah. I mean, you were recognized as kind of looking like a little Richard, I, I heard was part of your story. Yeah. You know, when I got into wrestling, Dusty Rhodes kind of discovered me and he had told me that I look like little Richard and he had this whole gimmick for me. And next thing I know, through hair and makeup and everything else and the way that they flamboyant dressing, I look like little Richard. And it was a crazy time. I was so outrageous. It was contagious. <laughs> That's insane. Did little Richard ever contact you? No, but you know, it's funny because people send me posters of, he'd hold up a poster of me at, at one of his, his uh, concerts. And he said, they say he's as pretty as me. I don't think so. And he ripped up the poster and it'd be funny. But recently I met his driver. We actually become friends on Facebook. A really great guy. We're really close now. And he was his driver. And he told me that little Richard loved the character. He said that he gets such a kick out of it watching it on television, which was so nice because, you know, the best form of imitation is flattery is the best form of imitation, you know. And I'm not saying that right. But anyways, you know what I mean? So I think he really enjoyed that. That's sweet. I feel like you could maybe use that now for like promos. You could do it back. Oh my gosh. Share up this picture or something. Yeah. You Flashback, know, back, right? It's so funny because, you know, I wrestled in WCW as Johnny B. Bad and then I changed it back to Mark Merrill when I went to WWE. And, you know, most when you Google my name, Mark Merrill, most of the pictures that come up are of me as Wild Man Mark Merrill or Marvelous Mark Merrill with WWE. But every once in a while, a kid will come up with his phone and goes, is this you? <laughs> so no one ever saw that guy before in my life. <laughs> no, I laugh about it. I go, yeah, that was me. <laughs> That's wild, right? Do you miss those days at all? 
you know what? I get such fulfillment out of what I do now. It's hard to go back and say, you know, man, I wish I can go back and do that. But it was a great chapter of my life. You know, it's something that I could look back at and really enjoy. I mean, I walked away, you know, I did it for on and off for 14 years, but I had, um, I think it was two or three years left on my guaranteed contract and I walked away. I just had enough. You know, I had so many surgeries and injuries and I just wasn't fun anymore, you know? And then I found this whole new calling in my life. I only wish I could talk this good when I wrestled, you know? But obviously, I'm in front of a lot of audiences now, so you become very comfortable and you learn how to become a good presenter through adversity, like things that happen, you know? A kid gets up and walks out, or kids are crying, or one time a rat ran across the audience and kids just jump up and start running out. And one time I'm, I spoke at a church and the fire alarm went off and everybody's running out. And you learn how to, <laughs> you know, no matter what happens, you got to hold it together, you know? Or, you know, you people that freeze on stage, they forget what they're talking about or forget where they're going with something. And I've experienced all that and I've learned from it. And it's helped me become a very relaxed and better presenter because of that. That is hysterical, like especially the rat thing where you like, get back here. Or... <laughs> all I did was saw all kids running and I didn't know what it was. I didn't, you know, it was like kind of scary at first. I'm thinking, what are they all running from? And kids are screaming. And it was some, I don't know, it was a rat. It looked like more like a mouse. I don't know, but they're like, it's a rat in the school and everybody's running out. And it was just, it was actually hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. Were there moments like that in the ring? Not so much that, you know, I mean, there's things that happen in the ring that aren't planned or someone gets injured or, you know, that you don't plan on it. You have to try and finish a match. But sometimes if someone's injured so badly, they can't finish the match or they break something or get knocked out or something, you know. So we've all had those situations that happen in the ring, too. But nothing like, thank goodness, not a, a rat or a mouse ran by. No animals crawling through. No. <laughs> Also, I heard, you know, that sometimes wrestlers play by the rules and sometimes they operate at their own liberties. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, very seldom because, you know, you have to protect each other because we have to wrestle every night. That's how we make a living. So when you hurt somebody, it doesn't sit well with all the guys in the dressing room, you know, because you're taking advantage of someone. But there's something called a potato. Like if you hit a guy a little too hard in the ring, it's called a potato. And then there's something that comes back called a receipt. <laughs> All right. So that is okay because he hurts you. It's okay to hurt him back, you know, but usually that's enough. You're even, let's move on and let's have the match. Let's finish the match properly. You know, very seldom it ever gets to the point where they actually start fighting because like I said, it does not sit well. Did you ever cut your forehead or anything or get hit over the head with a chair? Uh, both. <laughs> yes. Yes. Fortunately, you know, it's part of what we do. But, you know, now they don't really have chair shots to the head anymore because of all the concussions and stuff. But when I was there, no one ever thought twice about somebody getting hit in the head with a chair. Did you know Pondo? He was a wrestler that Pondo, they named a beer after him and he was big in Japan. Oh, no. I mean, I've been over to Japan a few times, but I never met him or heard of him. Okay. Yeah, he was a Jerry Springer guest. <laughs> I crossed okay. paths with, there actually were a lot of wrestlers on the show. Well, he had to do pretty good if they named a beer after him, you know? Wow. Okay. So another thing, too, I'm really interested in is how did you get to Vince? 
Talk about that story. Actually, he contacted me when my contract was up in WCW through mutual parties that he wanted to sign me to a contract in WWE. And he flew me up to Stamford, Connecticut, where he lived. And we had dinner together at his house. And he said, what's going to take? And this was after my first, con- my second contract with WCW was up. And he said, what's going to take to get you to WWE? I said, well, I need guaranteed money. And see, no one ever had guaranteed money at WWE before. And you get paid on on how well the, the arena draws. So he said, I just can't do that. And I said, then I can't join WWE. So we shook hands and he said, someday we're going to make a deal. Three years later, when my contract was up again, we had another meeting. And he says, what's it going to take to get you to WWE? I said, Vince, I can't come unless I get a guaranteed contract. And he goes, done. I was the first one to ever get a guaranteed contract. I broke the glass ceiling and now everybody gets guaranteed contracts. But I was wow. the first. Yeah. Well, that's a legacy right there. Yeah, but it, but it didn't sit well because when I got there, I was the only one with a guaranteed contract and everybody was very upset and guys were working their butts off, not making a lot of money. And here I am with this huge contract, not only a huge contract, but a big signing bonus too. I, I wanted that. And I got my wife on the road with me, paid for it. So I got a lot of perks to come in. So it was very difficult because a lot of the guys, you know, had animosity towards me and didn't really want to work well with me. So it was tough at first. Did you get any potatoes? (laughs) Yeah, and I gave back receipts. (laughs) (laughs) Crazy. How did you and your wife meet again? Well, I was on the road wrestling and I was with a bunch of the guys and we used to play a silly game called Give Her Your Best Line. And so if we saw a pretty girl or something, we'd say, you know, hey, give her your best line, you know, and then you'd have to go up and say something. And it was usually really funny. And, you know, the girl would laugh or, you know, make a joke or blow you off or whatever it would be. But we'd all get a kick out of it. We were at a buffet and I was with Diamond Dale's page and Buff Bagwell. And I can't remember, I think it was DDP said, hey, bro, give her your best line. And this girl walked in with her friends and they were in the back of the line. So I'm thinking, that was a good line. So anyway, I wrote on a piece of paper on a napkin, do you like me? Yes or no? Circle one. I gave it to the cashier. I said, when that girl comes by, give it to her, tell her it's from me. You know, sure enough, she did that. And the girl just puts on her tray and walks away. And and those guys were like laughing, go, oh, that was a great line. Do you like me? Yes or no? Circle one. We were laughing, you know, and we were getting ready to leave. And the waitress comes over to me and hands me back the napkin. And it said, maybe circled. <laughs> so anyways, I invited her to the matches and we left them tickets at the will call window and we just started dating and then we just headed off and we ended up getting married and she already had our daughter Mariah from a previous marriage. And so I adopted Mariah and she was just here for the summer. We had such a great time. Her and my granddaughter, Sophia. Aww. So we had a great time. What is it like being a grandpa? And you know, I ever call her G-Pa. <laughs> okay. I'm called G-Pa. <laughs> It takes a lot of energy because, you know, you got to keep up to like 10 years old. And, you know, we go to like, we took him to the water park and it's like you climb up these 12 stories water slides and you slide down in three seconds. You go, let's go again. And you're like, okay. <laughs> but that's the fun of it. And she's great. And just I'm so blessed in my life right now. That's really beautiful. I love that you feel blessed and are experiencing that kind of joy. I do feel like that is so special. We chase after things in life we think are going to make us happy. And I was a professional wrestler for 14 years and traveled the world in search of what I thought I wanted. And then I came home and found it, but it was too late, you know? So you learn some valuable lessons 
through adversity in life. And I share a lot of that. You know, I'm very honest about, you know, my shortcomings and the bad decisions and the uh, things I did that with my own family that I was very, well, my poor mom, you know, worked so hard to keep our family together and work two jobs. And sometimes the way I treated her, and as I look back on life, I think, I can't believe I would be that cruel to her, never realizing what she was going through in her own life. As kids, we're just so selfish and we don't think about our parents, what they go through, the sadness, the pain, the hurt, the anxiety, the depression, things that they go through that we never think of because we're just so focused on ourselves. How did you get the bigger picture? When did you start feeling bad about that as a mom? I'm asking. more about, you know, through our struggles, we find our strength, you know, and it's through my faith is really committed my life to Christ. And when I did that, I realized so much about, you know, trying to be more like Him, you know, trying to be a better person. And I realized that what brought me happiness was helping someone else become happy or fulfilled or pursue their passion in life or whatever it would be to help them. And then I found a calling, I found a purpose. And then this is my 17th year presenting at school. I, when I When I leave on on September 5th, it's my 17th year presenting at schools. and Longer than wrestling, right? Yeah, longer than wrestling. And it's so cool now because I get kids that saw me back when they were in you know, middle school, high school, or college, and they have their own careers now, families, professional athletes, a record deal. And they'll say, the day you came to school, they changed my life, or my life was changed, and I wrote down my goals and dreams. And I'm real big about pursuing dreams and goals and writing them down and stuff, you know? And I have a little book from when I was 10 years old that wrote my dreams and goals down, and many of those dreams and goals became a reality in life. But I aimed high, man. I mean, when you look at my little diary, I was going to find the cure for cancer. I was going to find the cure for, oh gosh, I had all these things written down in my little book, you know, that I share when I bring it to, I bring it to every school, you know, so I had this little diary I wrote. And see, failure is not aiming high and missing. Failure is aiming too low and hitting. And I was just always dreaming big and aiming high at life. And I wrote down I was going to be a professional athlete. I was going rookie of the year. All these things that became a reality in my life, I wrote down as a little kid. Didn't find the career for cancer, though. <laughs> I love that, though. Who gave you that journal? Where did that start? You know, I had this teacher named Miss Polino in fifth or sixth grade. And she told us about writing a journal and keeping writing goals and dreams and stuff down, you know? And she had me write what I believed was going to happen to me in the future. And so in 1970, I wrote what I felt was going to happen every year until the year 2000, so 30 years of my life. I wrote what I believed was going to happen in the future, and many of those things became a reality. So it's kind of ironic about, and that's why I'll give you another example, was it's so important not only to write them into existence, but put it somewhere where you have to see it. My little diary was opened up on my desk where I'd see it all the time. Like, for example, in 2008, I decided to write a book and I took a post-it note and all I wrote was book 2010 and I stuck it on my computer. Now, I gave myself two years to write a book and every day I get in front of that computer, what do I see? The post-it note book 2010. Now, I'll be honest, my first year, I didn't really do much or write anything. And then I kept seeing it. I'm going, oh my gosh, I only got a year left. And I started writing more and more. And the book was published in December of 2009, a month before 2010 came. And I never would have 
uh, met that deadline if that post-it note wasn't on my computer. So I challenge people to write their dreams and goals down, but put it somewhere where you have to see it. You know, don't just eat it, think it. <laughs> or don't just wow. think it. <laughs> Zig Ziglar said that years ago. Did you save that post-it? I feel like it needs to be framed. I have a picture of it that I use at my presentation, especially for corporate presentations, because so many times as adults, we become complacent in life and one day becomes the next and we settle for the status quo and we say things like, I wish I would have done this or I wish I would have done that. Or, or we say things like, those were the days. And I'm here to tell you, these are the days. We learn from past mistakes. We grow in grace and knowledge. We do anything we set our minds to. I mean, the internet is so powerful. You know, and you want to write a book, you can self-publish a book. You don't even have to order copies. They'll, they'll print them as you sell them, you know? If you got a great story, I encourage you to do something like that. You want to start a business. There's so many ways to start a business today. You know, you want to rekindle a relationship with someone you haven't spoken to in years. It's, it's much easier to find someone than maybe you knew in fifth or sixth grade that you haven't talked to. And you always thought about, what are they doing today? You know, things that we should pursue in life, it passes so quickly. And then all of a sudden, and as you get older, you realize that years go by fast. You know, it's like summer, fall, winter, spring, you know, it just happens so fast all the time. I mean, summer's over. It was like a blink. It's gone. And I'm in my last chapters of life. So I'm always thinking about, man, I'm living every day like it's the last. I mean, I, I really do. When I say that, I get up with a purpose. I mean, I get up with a step, man. I'm ready. I go and get my workout in. I read. I try to answer all my messages. So I'm not so, you know, if you don't answer messages for a few days, oh my gosh, you get so bogged down. You so, and it's like, oh my God, I forgot to answer this person or this parent reached out to me or whatever, you know? And so you really want to stay on top of things in life. How do people get into your inner circle? Like, who are your select few? <laughs> you know, I said we become who we surround ourselves with. You know, I tell students, your friends are like elevators. They either take you up or they take you down. You show me your friends, I'll show you your future. So I'm very selective of who's my inner group. Diamond Dale's page is a real good friend of mine. He lives about 20 minutes from me and he does amazing things helping people after wrestling also. Uh, he's got this thing called DDPY, DDP Yoga, and he has just saved so many lives. And when we get together, we just like... It's like we can't get a word in edgewise. We're both just like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what happened here. And we all have stories and, and things. But I don't know if you saw the video that called the mother's love about my mom. My buddy Dallas actually filmed that. I was doing schools in Atlanta. And then he said, uh, um, yeah, you're doing a bunch of schools near me. He goes, do you mind? He's got a whole film crew because they film their yoga workouts. And he said, do you mind if they come down and film it? And I said, sure, because we had, we had video releases from the school. And they filmed this video. And, and a couple of days later, he says, Hey, bro, the guys put together this like five minute video. You mind if we put it up on YouTube? And I go, yeah, go right ahead, man. Who would ever think that the thing is already through different people that have shared it? One person had a hundred million, another guy had 50 million, 70 million. One day we just sat there and went to these different websites and added up what they got. Plus ours, ours got like 17 million on ours. We had over half a billion views on that video. Is that crazy? And every month, because now I put it, so I said, Dale, I'll put it on my YouTube channel because he was getting all the views, you know? So I put it on my YouTube channel and that thing, it brings in so much revenue into our company every single month. Still does amazing. How does it bring revenue in? Just it leads to different it's opportunities. It's oh, it's monetized. That's right. Yes. Because that many views. Now, not even, well, let, let me tell you about the opportunities. The first thing, when that went viral, the first month, we had three thousand booking requests. We had five full-time people working and it was like getting people to book us all over. We couldn't keep up. We did 293 events that year. Yeah. 
It was crazy. 293. Remember, we did that in 10 months too. So that's how much we were going. I went all over. And we go all over the world too. We went to Russia. We went to Guatemala. This year, we're going to the UK, to Ireland. We're going to Puerto Rico. So it's really taken off worldwide because of that video. I would say that that is encouraging to others as well, because it can be one video that changes your life and you never know when it's going to hit if you keep doing good things. Yeah, I really believe that because who would ever think that just a part of my presentation, remember that's only a five minute piece of my presentation, could change so many lives, you know? And when I, when I tell you that we get uh, messages every day, we get messages of people that see this video. Let me read you this one that really sticks out in my mind, okay? Yeah. This lady wrote to me and she says, I had pills in one hand and a drink in the other. I had enough to end my life. I was ready to leave all because I didn't fit in. I felt unwanted. Like I wasn't supposed to be around, like I was God's mistake. I looked on Facebook one last time and saw your video about your mom. I looked at your page with tears rolling down my face. I put the pills away and read your posts. This was 10 minutes ago. If it wasn't for that video, I'd be filled with pills on my way to see God. Thank you. Isn't that amazing? But we get letter after letter like this, and it's just incredible. I mean, we get them all day long. Mark, you just brought me closer to my family. I'm, I've been going through severe depression. I've had tried suicide more than once. I was actually planning to take my life tonight, but because of you, I didn't do so. Thank you so much. We get these every day on, on someone that says it changed or saved their life. I'm speechless. I mean, I watched that video and it totally brought me to tears. I showed it to my 15-year-old son who's reminds me of you talking about how you didn't, you know, treat your mom the best. Like yeah. teenagers are tough. Yeah. And he said, I actually saw that in my school. <laughs> wow. Well, you know, it's amazing. The greatest love there is other than God's love is a mother's love for kids. It's just incredible how much a mother loves their children. And it's sad that we often take for granted the very things in life we should appreciate and often don't realize it until it's too late. But I took my too late and made it into a story that is going to help other people not have a too late. And that's what's so cool because I get to another funny thing was that so many letters from parents that see that write to me after their kid has saw my presentation at the school. And we got a funny one not too long ago. The mother wrote to me and she said, my daughter came home from school today and she said, I want to start having dinner with you and dad. And she's being nice to her little brother. What the heck did you say? <laughs> or I get this all the time too, is that parents will say that my son or daughter came home from school and told me they loved me. And I haven't heard that in a long time. They said how sorry they were for the way they've been treating me and acting and they're going to start helping more around the house and or whatever it would be, you know. Simply by sharing that story about my mother has helped and changed so many lives. That is a tremendous legacy and such a beautiful way to honor her. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm Christian and I believe my mom loved the Lord. So she prayed for us all the time. And I really believe I became the man she always prayed for. And maybe she didn't get to see in her life, but I know she knows. And I know someday there's going to be a, I mean, a reunion in heaven and a celebration that will never end. Because I guarantee many people that have saw my presentation that have since passed on, have seen my mom in heaven and said, you would not believe what your son is doing. So I'm looking forward to that reunion. That's so beautiful. What would you tell somebody who has a hard time finding God or being a believer or is... Yeah, missing that piece. 
You know, it's really hard because I, I, I can understand it because I went through it. You know, it's like you don't want to hear about it. You don't want to hear people beating you over with the Bible and telling you you're going to hell or this or that, you know? And I try to do everything with love. I just really believe that the greatest gift we can give someone is love. And although I can't talk about God at school, I can't even say his name, but before I go out there, I always pray his love and light shine through me. And you would not believe how many letters I get, messages I get from students, and they'll say, are you a Christian? You know, because they see something about the presentation. And for example, I'll take scripture and just change it. Like, for example, when I say your friends are like elevators, they're going to take you up or they're going to take you down or show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It really comes from 1 Corinthians 13, 11, where it says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. I know it's biblical. You know, most of the things that I talk about are biblical. I just can't say (laughs) scripture or anything like that. I am also interested because you are an expert at captivating audiences, and I feel like you have really honed that. What is the difference that you've noticed in capturing the attention of corporate America versus children? You know, it's funny because like you even mentioned that you cried when you saw the video. You know, many corporate America, I'll give you an example. I recently spoke to the sheriff's department with Ron DeSantis, all the sheriffs in Florida. And I was a keynote speaker, and I shared some powerful stories about the death of my family. And not only my mother, my little brother and sister both died at 21. My dad died in my arms. My mom died at 58. And you would not believe how many, some of the toughest guys you'll ever meet had their head down and just, you know, and couldn't thank me enough. But it helps reconcile and rekindle relationships that they may already have that we have let start going south because we get so caught up in our own lives or depression or whatever it would be. And anything else you could think about, wow, I have this beautiful wife or husband at home that really needs me. So I, I see a lot of that. But I became, to share my story, you have to be a storyteller. A lot of people have a lot of notes and stuff, and they, they try to read some. And I'm terrible at reading and, and looking up and trying to read. And so... I just share my story. I share it from my heart. And I'm good at changing on the fly if I have to. When something comes up or I want to go to a little bit different place with it, or I see a certain reaction and maybe want to stick with that part a little bit longer, especially you know when we talk about kids that are bullied and are being abused in some way. So I challenge students, like especially younger kids, when I'm speaking in a middle school, I'll say, if there's anyone here that has been hurting, mocking, bullying, making fun of, cyberbullying someone in this course, I want to do something. I'm going to ask you to do something really brave. By the end of this presentation, or the latest tomorrow, I want you to go up to them and just simply say, I'm sorry. I really like to be your friend. Not only will you probably have a friend for life, but you know whose life is going to change the most? Yours. You can't go through life hurting people. It's amazing how the world works itself out. It's called maybe yin and yang. What comes around goes around. You reap what you sow, whatever you want to call it. It's true. You can't go through life. I meet more adults going through divorce where they'll say, he's nothing but a bully because he's never changed his ways. Kids that are bullies now often become bullies and they expect things and maybe they've been bullied and they bully other people, but there's got to be a point where someone has to stop. You got to stop it and you'll find happiness when you stop it and you start. I mean, I never found more joy by helping people than hurting people. Have you ever turned around a bully? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've gotten so many letters from bullies. In fact, I should actually start a folder with letters from bullies 
And it's so cool because I ask them to apologize and they'll tell me, they go, after your presentation, I went to this kid, I've been so mean to, we all pick on him. He's, you know, like, especially the kids that maybe have Down syndrome or learning disabilities. When you hear that they're being picked on, it just breaks your heart, man, you know? But they all are friends, friends with him now, and then he sits with them in the lunchroom. And when you hear stuff like that, you realize, man, you got to get reach the kids that maybe are a little unreachable at points, you know? Wow. That's amazing. I feel like that's the toughest group to change are the bullies. It is, but you know, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to make a difference. And I remember hearing this, it's like, kids don't listen today. Like I I had a lot of friends that are inspirational speakers for corporations and they'll say to me, they go, man, I would never get in front of a middle or high school group. Oh no, no way. No way. They're the hardest audience, you know? And I found a way to really captivate this audience, you know? But they say, well, yeah, I mean, these kids say they're they're lost, man. All you do is save them all. They remind me of that analogy of the little boy that's walking along the seashore and all these starfish washed on shore. And he starts going around because they're gonna die. And he picks them up and he throws one back in, goes over and picks up another one, he throws it back in. An old man saw him. He goes, Hey kid. What are you going to do? Save them all. And he reaches down, he picks one up, he throws in, he goes, I just saved that one. Hey, we can't save them all, but you know what? I'm going to throw as many back in as possible. Damn. I love that. Thank you. Is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to share? I feel like I'm sitting here thinking about you holding your dad and hugging him. Is there anything that comes to mind about your dad that you would like to remember? Well, my dad was an amazing man. My dad worked my corner for all my boxing matches. Even though my parents were divorced, my dad was still very active in my life. And obviously, when I went through my my serious drug addiction stage, we were ostracized for a while. But uh, we reconciled and were closer than ever before he passed on. But he was an amazing man. And I guess, man, parents are so important. They, they're in our life for a kind of a short time. And when you think about it, when you're 18, 19, you leave home, you may only see him a couple of times a year. Now, spread that over the rest of your life. You might only see them 30, 40 more times, you know? So make those moments count. Make that phone call, send that email, let them know how much you love them and how thankful you are for things they may have taught you, mom or dad, you know, that have shared with you or helped you. And just remind them that they did a good job. You know, parents get down on themselves too. They're people. We all do. You know, we all, you know, that's the things when you're a kid, you don't think your parents, you know, ever have to worry about anything or or ever stress out because they hide it from you, you know? You know, my parents got divorced when I was eight years old. I never remember them arguing. I never heard them screaming. And now I see, you know, kids will tell me they hear their parents swearing each other, throwing stuff, hitting each other. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I never went through it. I understand how detrimental a divorce could be on a kid, but when you see that happening, it's got to be horrific. I'm glad it was a amicable breakup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it does sound like you are. They're always, they're always nice to each other, too. There was never no arguing or fighting, you know. Did it affect you the rest of your life, though? It did, because when my dad left, I'll never forget this. And that's a quick story I'll share with you, was that I was coming home from school. And I was turning the corner and there was, we had this little alley you go through before you get to our home. And I was running through the alley and all of a sudden I saw my dad's cart after school, which was unusual because my dad didn't usually come home until around dinner time. And I was like, oh my gosh, dad's home early, you know? So I run in the house and when I walked in, my mom was sitting in a chair in the living room and she had her head buried in her hands and she was crying. I said, mom, what's wrong? And she lifted up her head and tears were streaming down her cheeks. And she said, oh, she said was daddy's leaving. 
years old. I don't know what she means, you know. So ran to my mom and dad's room because I, I knew I heard my dad in there. And he had his back to the door because he's putting his clothes in a suitcase. And I said, Daddy, what are you doing? And he turns around and goes, Mark, I want you to know I love you so much. I go, where are you going? And he just came out and told me. He said, Mark, your mom and dad are no longer going to be together. Your daddy's got to go. And I said, no. And I ran over and I fell to my knees. I grabbed his suitcase, the handles of his suitcase, and I wouldn't let it go. And I said, Daddy, please don't go. You're my best friend. I just was crying. And, and he, I'll never forget, he, he reaches down and he pulls the suitcase out of my hand. He goes, Mark, don't cry. Everything's going to be okay. And then he walked out the door and he's gone. And I was screaming. Oh my God. Please don't go. Please don't go. Now, fast forward to when my dad was in the hospital, 70 years old, dying of lung cancer. And we get to the hospital, my sister and I, and I get in the bed with him and I pick him up in my arms and I'm holding him. And he had his eyes like just a little bit open. And, and I said, Daddy, please don't go. You're my last time. And that was like deja vu to when I was a little boy. And I started crying. And my tears kept hitting my father in his face. And I said to him, I go, Daddy, don't cry. Everything's going to be okay. And he died. Oh, my God. Yeah. I just kept saying, please don't go. And he was gone. Great man. Wow. Yeah. How special that you got to be the one to hold him. Yeah. Yeah. And my sister got in bed too, and she was there, and it was tough. It was tough. His nickname was Happy. Everyone, <laughs> everybody. I mean, ever since he was a little boy, his nickname were Happy, you know? And all his friends would call him or Happy. No one thrilled that was Harold. No one ever, I never even heard, heard anyone call him Harold, you know? And it was just incredible that everybody knew him as that name. He was just the happiest person. He's always smiling and very proud of me. That is amazing to know. Yeah. Did he tell you? Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, you know, because my mom died many years before my dad. And, you know, it brought everyone a little closer together. My little brother and mother, they died two weeks apart. My brother was only 21 when he died. And just two weeks after my mother. And then my sister, Andre, she died at 21 from cancer. So we had some tough times. But I think through those tough times, you really learn about how important relationships are in life. And I haven't been the best at it, man. I mean, I'm going through divorces and heartache and brokenness and finally getting to a place where, you know, you're in the sunset of life, so to speak. You know, I'm in 63 years old. There's only a couple chapters left, baby. You know, you never know. There's no, no promises of tomorrow. But like I said, it's about the legacy now. What do you leave behind? What's the dream now? The dream now? <laughs> well, you know, I'm single. And I certainly would love to meet someone to spend these last chapters with. So, you know, it's a little tough when you travel as much as I do, but you have faith and you believe that someday you'll hopefully more than someday soon, you meet someone that you can spend your life with and enjoy, you know, sunsets and, you know, going through stuff in life together. Amen. You should find the right one. I think you should put that on a post-it note. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, if you say it, you bring it into yes. the universe, right? Yeah. yeah, because I say it so, I make it so, right? Yes. And he said <laughs> it so idea. here. Got to find the right one. Okay. Well, now I've met so many 
awesome people. I'm a people person. I mean, I love my alone time because I'm around people all the time. So when I come home, I got this little dog who still brought a Morky. It's called a Maltese Yorkie. So I hang out with him and he just, he's a ham. He just corrects me up. So I have fun with this little dog. Do you know what you're looking for? Should we expand uh, on the post-it? You know what? I think it's just someone with not a lot of baggage, you know, someone that, that just gets it. When I say gets it, that Life is precious, man. When you stress out about things, you just you just bring stress into other people's life too. So I try to keep when things don't go my way, I try to keep it to myself. In other words, not that I'm holding it in, but I don't want to see anybody else being stressed because maybe I'm going through something that's stressful. You know, it's great to talk about it with someone that maybe understands or has gone through something similar. But I just at a place in my life where I just don't want to have a lot of a lot of baggage right now. Yeah, I will say too, it's got to be a lot different of a dating situation than it was even, you know, 20, 30 years ago. Yes. And you got to find someone with the energy to keep up with you too. So there's another... It was to do the water slides. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, when it happens, I hope I'm invited to the wedding. Oh, thanks, Rita. Well, I hope to meet you in person sometime. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure and a blessing to you. Oh, God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. You've heard from my mom. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. This is your episode with Mark, and he's experienced as much heartbreak as success. And isn't that really some of the lessons from all of our shows, from the Better Call Daddy show, is that sometimes those that are able to overcome adversity lead cleaner and stronger lives in the future. And when you also see the hardships of people and you experience it yourself, you're able to also project those feelings of understanding and compassion better as well. And he's actually helping people where I love how he says that his legacy is not to be remembered for some of the achievements, whether it was in wrestling or how much money he made, But if he can reach out and help someone, that he gets a high off of that, that he actually feels fantastic if he can actually help somebody improve their lives. And that's really what it's about. That's part of God's lesson, is to be able to project to others. And what is that he's going to project to others? Project to others that they have a chance to be happy and successful and be able to participate in the fruits of life that are so wonderful. And realistically, sometimes people take things for granted if they haven't absorbed losses and adversities. They don't appreciate sometimes some of the fantastic things that they have because they don't know what it is not to have things. So it's quite a twist of fate there, is that people that have everything can be just as miserable as people who have nothing. And those that have nothing and see people on TV or people that are having exciting lives, they get depressed because they're not sharing in some of those good times and don't realize that sometimes it's just the simple things in life. Having your health, being able to breathe, being close to God should be enough. And sometimes people being able to hug their children and see their grandchildren is a miracle enough to make it all worthwhile and share with someone that's depressed, that would possibly want to kill themselves, which is the greatest gift of all of life. 
and to be able to convince them that no matter what, it's worth living is quite an achievement in itself. He's very powerful with his words. Uh, absolutely. But he, he's lived through it all. He understands the pros and cons to life. And I would like to think that on the Better Call Daddy show, we give you that perspective as well. And it's because we've also had big highs and lows in our lives so that we can really understand and have compassion for the next guy. I love that you always put the plug in there. <laughs> well, I can't sing and dance right now, but if I could, I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Well, I'll tell you, even I shed a little bit of a tear when he told the story about his dad and not to go. Look at the effect that a father and a mother, when they split up, the effect on children, it's so gigantic and so enormous that even though they're going to be okay, but it's still a tremendous scar. And then at the end of life, isn't it the same thing? That no matter what, you would like to hold on to your mom or your dad, especially if they're sick or they're having problems or they're getting ready to unfortunately lose the battle of life and join the next world. Don't we fight hard to have them stay just a little bit longer. So we should really take advantage, as Mark says, is to enjoy the relationships that you have because they don't last forever in the human sense. And even though we might carry everyone in our heart that has passed, it's sure nice to be able to do things with them while they're alive. Amen. You almost made me cry. Hey, he's looking for a match. Yeah, I think you got to play matchmaker. He sounds like a terrific guy. I try. Sounds good. I think you could have an offshoot of this show. Better call Rena if you want the right match. Thanks for listening. Now I think I'm going to go call my dad. <laughs> I'll say goodbye and see you the next time. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy show. Join us weekly for new episodes and more daddy wisdom. Better Call Daddy is good advice always. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. You can also find special episodes on my YouTube channel. And you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, Alexa, or your preferred podcatcher. That's wrap for now.